Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world, and welcome back to another episode of Endurance Chat. I am Floodman11, and today we are going to chat about the European Le Mans series opening round. We're going to head back to Paul Ricard and have a bit of chat about what happened there. We're going to talk about the IMSA race at Long Beach and look ahead to the next round of the season at Mid-Ohio. Yes. Uh, yes. Before that, we are going to start with what's happening over in Belgium right now with the WEC, the penultimate round of the Super Season uh, at Spa-Francorchamps, the second round of Spa-Francorchamps this Super Season, uh, which is on this weekend, and we've already had a few free practice sessions, um, but we'll go through all of that in a second. Joining me today, we have Queen Monster FL, Sol Hymas, and uh, for the first time in a little while, Bujok. Uh, so I just want to talk about talk to Bujok for a second first. How are you going, Bujok? I'm doing well. That is fantastic to hear. And you are, in fact, going to the WC race at Spa uh, in, uh, like, 24 hours' time? A little bit later than that. We leave uh, Saturday morning, so only race days this year. So (laughs) that's a little bit of a shame, but it's better than nothing. Awesome. Are you excited? Don't complain. Are you excited? I am, and also not that much, because (laughs) the weather seems like... I'm just looking at the weather now and says like, luckily I'm not there at the moment, but for like 7 a.m., heavy snow. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) It's me. (laughs) So, as as exciting as it would be to go to a WC race, when the forecast is, yeah, 7 degrees, snow and heavy rain and a maximum temperature, oh yeah, minimum temperature of 1 degree and predicted rain throughout the entire race. It's, yeah, it's going to be interesting conditions, let's put it that way. How far does it take for you to get to Spa-Francorchamps from where you are in the Netherlands? I think, depending on the traffic, probably can make it in two hours. Oh, wow. Damn, not, you not Euro- bad. Europeans and all your big tracks so close to each other, that makes me sad. <laughs> sad and angry. Um, damn. Okay, well, I have a safe... Uh, firstly, an enjoyable time. Um, there's also a bunch of other people going from the uh, WC community. Um, I think Trevor Soros is also heading over, and I think one or two guys from the Discord, uh, Noise and Petrolhead. Either way, there's a bunch of people heading over, so if you are at the track, let people know and meet up with these people. Um, so, as I mentioned, we are talking... Uh, the event over in Spa has already started. We've had FP1 and FP2 already, and... Uh, quite a surprise in FP1, I think, uh, which I think took everyone by surprise, actually. Uh, Cookie, we, we saw S&P top the timesheets. Uh, as we all expected and suspected, uh, the privateers are now faster than Toyota's, mm. and LMP1 is saved. We now don't have to worry about any issues uh, whatsoever for the next year and a half, and... I regret, um, I regret throwing to you on this one. <laughs> I won the lottery too, by the way, so that's great. Um, no, uh, that's good. No, it's, I mean, it's good to see uh, some some teams that aren't Toyota Gazoo racing at the top of the time sheet. <laughs> so, but, uh, um, yeah, like uh, I think we said before we started recording, uh, that is nowhere near where I we any of us expect the uh, average race time, lap time to be. Uh, but it's, it's, it is nice to see S&P one too. I'm gonna, not going to lie on that one, so. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, so you were saying that last year the Toyotas were much faster than they were in this session. Yeah, yes. in qualifying they did a 54.9. So the 8 did a 54.9, which uh, was by far the fastest lap time of the weekend. Uh, the 7 was obviously excluded from, the, excluded from qualifying yep. due to a fuel flow sensor. But S&P uh, did a 56.2 as the fastest lap, lap of FE1 here. Uh, last year, that same car, uh, the number 11 S&P did a 58.2 in qualifying. So some improvement, uh, which was to be expected given that they've received EOT break after EOT break. But yeah. Uh, and also development the season. Also development, but also EOT breaks, yes. But yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Toyota did a... 54.9, yeah, last season, uh, I don't think a 58.7 is anywhere near their true pace. Mm, yeah, it is quite a step down. I mean, they are running with a bit more weight, but I don't think uh, however much more weight they're running with would be worth that much of a difference. Um, the conditions weren't perfect. They were a, a little patchy. It was very overcast, very cold. Um, but the track stayed dry, so I'm not sure 
how much Toyota are hiding their pace or if, if they are hiding their pace. Um, but yeah, it was a shock to see S&P uh, 1 and 2. Interestingly, though, uh, it was almost more of a shock to see Rebellion, uh, I think, three seconds down from the S&P racing guys uh, because they're bringing yeah. a new uh, downforce package this weekend, aren't they? Uh, yeah, the the whale fins aren't as uh, slippery as we suspected, I guess, or or maybe this is all insulation. I, I think really, we, until we get to FP3, and unless FP3 is all covered in snow, I, we should have more of an understanding of what's going on with these cars, because yeah, I didn't expect the pace to be that off. I think, didn't Rebellion not do well, though, here last year? I thought S&P, if I felt, had the better pace. Um, pace S&P did they have went. the better pace until they went upside down. <laughs> <laughs> they try to leave yeah. the, uh, the earth, so, okay. Um, yeah, the the Rebellion are running a, a low-down force setup for the first time. Um, it reminds me very much of the old Porsche 919 with the way that mm-hmm. the, the like, bubble lights look. Uh, it, they basically look like two massive, like, goldfish eyeballs that like are kind of popping out of the head a little bit uh it does look very weird especially when we've been so used to seeing the rebellion look like the rest of the orica lmp2 field um but yeah that were three seconds off the pace in practice one which was a bit surprising i think uh it might might have had to do uh you know even the number 17 smb was uh two seconds ahead of the number 11 so uh, it might just have been that due to the conditions, everyone was, was taking it very tentatively and very, you know, we don't know how the tires are going to react. Maybe, you know, take it easy. And the number 17, I don't know, uh, they might have decided to, to just take one car and go help leather. <laughs> Saracen's just like, no, nah, screw that. <laughs> uh, Bicols is back too uh, and yes. finishes behind two LMP2s on his first installation back. Uh, back. So they didn't, they're really- not on fire. They're not on fire, so I'll at least give them a slight round of applause. Well, they did change their engine, uh, so now they're running the Gibson engine that the Rebellions are running as well. Um, they're using their old chassis, their old uh, Nismo-clad chassis, but they've made a few adjustments to um, fit the Gibson engine. But for Le Mans, they'll be using a brand new chassis with, uh, with, with allowances made to fit the Gibson engine perfectly. Um, so that's kind of the shape of LMP1 at the moment. But yeah, it was really, really surprising, but I'm not sure how representative that's going to be because uh, P- uh, FP2 uh, was also happened, uh, and that was very wet and very rainy and uh, very slow in comparison. Uh, the top time in FP2 was a 2 minutes 19, so a solid 23 seconds slower than what we saw in FP1. Uh, so yeah, that's probably going to be the, the run of the weekend, I guess. I don't really think we'll see much times quicker than the two minute mark for the weekend, unless it gets dry again for qualifying tomorrow, which it doesn't look like it will, by the way. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Fun times. Um, LMP2 should be a little bit more interesting though. Yeah. LMP2 has got quite a bit of... Um, interesting flavor about it, I guess. Uh, there's the three-way championship battle, uh, a few new drivers in the class. Of course, um, the 37 crew is maintaining its driver lineup from Sebring, uh, as well, um, with David Hanway Hansen, uh, is that Jordan King and Will Stevens? Jordan King, yep, yep. and Will yep, Stevens. Jordan King. Uh, and, uh, there's a new driver in a TDS racing for this weekend as well. Uh, Norman Nato, uh, the race engineering driver from last season has stepped into, uh, I think it was, I think it's actually Loic Deval's overalls. I think he's actually just using Loic Deval's clothes. That's what I've read. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh. Fun times. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Um, um, new, new chassis name on the G drive. Uh, entry, which yes. is the one-off one entry again for Spa before Le Mans. Yep, um, that's so. got Roman Rusnov, Job van Ertertz, as we learned how to pronounce his name last time, and Johnny Verne at the seat of the Aorus 01, uh, which is, again, just a new Orica, basically. Oh, what? What? Don't tell them that. That's, I mean... The, the, no, it's, it actually, it's, the... actually, it's actually a rebranded Alpine. Which, you know, is a manufacturer vehicle, which uh, 
uh, creates all sorts of complications oh, given that, you know, let's not... we are supposed to only have four manufacturers. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, lot, lot of put, uh, I'm putting them back in the box. Hold on, let me just get this. Stick him. I'll stick him in the, I'll stick a rag not... in his mouth here before we can continue <laughs> on. Jesus. Oh, uh, yeah, but that's, uh, yeah, that's fun. So, yeah, uh, but the interesting part, too, is how terrible lobber competition have been for, like, the last two years, I think, just mired with a I don't know if it's Liget or if it's them, but God, man, I'm tired of seeing them like laboring at the bottom of timesheets in LP2. But that's neither here nor there. And I do like to see the Netherlands team with a pretty decent FP1 time, so hopefully that Delara upsets some Arekas, but I have a feeling it'll be the 36-26 Jackie Chan DC racing show tonight, or not tonight, tomorrow. Hey, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write off Alpine. Uh, Lapia Negral and TRA is still a very, very good team. And if it's wet and they're on Michelin's, they're going to have a fun time. Oh, yeah, no. I think the fight is between the Eurekas, uh, no doubt. I think the 26 and 36 are kind of in a league of their own, with J- uh, JCDC kind of like having spouts of being better. So mm-hmm. I just think that's where the, that's oh, where the pecking should, order is. We shouldn't forget that Alpine hasn't finished off the podium this season yet, so... Yeah, yep, yep, Alpine hasn't finished off the party in this season. Hmm. I I still think now Alpine. I'm amped. I think I still think Alpine. Bring it. Fight I'm me. actually excited for. I'm actually really excited. Okay, so I'm excited for LMP2, but I feel like GT Pro is probably where the sleeper well, just just, just favorite hold, classes. Just hold that thought just for a moment. Okay. Um, okay. Bujok, uh, of course, being from the Netherlands, how fun is it to see the jumbo car uh, racing around at Spa? Are you going to be cheering those guys on? I probably sh- probably shoot. Lumagosen is there, so like. Do you think that would be better this year than they did last they year? They don't. They won't let that. They won't let me in again, so I probably shoot. <laughs> don't let you Stop back me at the border. If I, do, if I don't cheer for the, for the boss, like <laughs> you can't go in anymore. You've, you've, your your Dutch uh, citizenship has been revoked. Um, <laughs> do you think they've got a quality shot? Because remember last year they didn't have um. Nick DeVries, but uh, with the with the GP2 driver or F2 driver uh, being a lot stronger than their second amateur last year, do you reckon they've got a shot at a podium? If I think about a, about a weather, if it falls wide, I think maybe with with a safety car something and Fitz can drive at that time. I think they got a shot. Otherwise, I will. I think they will lose a lot of time when Fitz gets into the car. So that's actually a great point. Uh, we saw in the. LMS race at Spa last year, these similar sort of weather conditions that we're expecting. And yeah, you're right. The guys who had their amateur in while there were safety car conditions had the pros in while it was green and were able to make up a lot of time. So that actually could be a very important point come race day. Great pickup. Great pickup. Okay, now, Cookie, you can talk about GTE Pro. <laughs> well, I mean... Based on some of the talk that we had before, after Sebring, was that everybody kind of felt that, uh, you know, the BOP was kind of spot on, but that I, I wouldn't say that there was an advantage or there wasn't an advantage to be had by some teams, but everybody kind of felt confident coming into Spa um, that they would have a shot. And I I, I don't think I, I'm i really disagreeing with them at this point. Um, based on the FP1, FP2, I mean, there's some teams that aren't, that don't have speed. I mean, on the speed chart, I can see immediately, but it's nice to see some mixing uh, with the front. I mean, just looking at FP1 itself, we do have a few different types of chassis in there, including Aston Martin. Hopefully, finally, we'll actually have some pace. I know that they were halfway decent, but um, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think I think there's about three or four makes out of a shot in GT Pro. Well, there's five makes like in GT Pro. I know. I know. <laughs> Look at that. I would just like to point out that uh, Aston Martin and Ford were uh, both at identical lap times in FP1. Yeah. To, to, to three decimal places. That's crazy. That is crazy. Over over the course of a, what, seven kilometer lap? That's ridiculous. They both put in in FP1 a two minutes 15.290 uh, to the thousandths of a second. That's just so crazy. Um, <laughs> still... A sec- uh, three seconds away from where they were last year in GTE, though. So track conditions, again, we mentioned were pretty slick and greasy, um, changeable. Uh, but yeah, Aston Martin, Ford, and BMW talking the timesheets in the dry conditions of FP1. In FP2, when it was uh, moist, and well, mm. probably 
wet would be a better way of putting it. Ah, um, okay. Aston Martin on top as again, and then uh, split by the two Porsche. Oh, sorry, split by the Porsche in second, and then Ferrari more towards the end of the field. The BMWs really seem to struggle in the wet conditions, and so did the Fords. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which weird. is weird, weird, given that you know boats should feel comfortable in wet conditions. Oh, what makes you yeah. say that? Well, boats, boats, boats usually go on water. <laughs> yeah, good shout, good shout. Ah, uh, cackle, cackle. Um, in- interesting that the Fords though are a few, uh, a little bit away. The the top six in that class in the wet conditions were separated by only about half a second, and then it is another half a second back to the Fords, and then another second and a half back to the BMWs. So I'm not sure if they got their um got their sums wrong or what just went out when it was a bit more greasy. But yeah, it was real. It's a little discouraging to see two marks just that far off the pace when it comes to the different conditions. Uh, I wouldn't put much uh, too much stock into it because uh, in FP1, uh, the field generally seemed uh, pretty evenly matched with with Ferrari towards the end. But you know, FP2, wet, wet running is always about getting the right lap in at the right time. Yeah. And, you know, just time attacks and wet conditions are too high variance to make any any uh, reasonable conclusion. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I guess then it would be better to look at the guys that made the most of the conditions and did the most laps. Mm-hmm. And both of them, well, in GTE Pro at least, the two cars that did the most laps were both of the uh, Aston Martins. So that bodes well for them uh, to, to get some sort of understanding of the track conditions if it's going to be that wet again uh, over the rest of the weekend. Uh, we'll move on to just quickly touch on GTM and that class is looking very, very, uh, very, very close in the dry conditions. Uh, the top, I think, seven or six cars within a second uh, based on the one that pace in FP1. But in FP2, it's it's a lot more spread out, I guess, with the amateurs having a bit more of uh, a bit more time in the car and in those trying conditions. Yeah, it just kind of spreads the field out. Well, it's a compromise setup too. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're throwing a wet setup in there, you're trying to like appease the lowest denominator to make sure that car doesn't go on the wall. So there might be a lot of uh, setup to play in the uh, discrepancy in lap times for FP one and FP two. Yep, exactly we'll right. Um, one constant, though, is the presence of the Porsches at the front of the field. Uh, in the FP1, it was the Golf Racing Porsche, uh, and then the Spirit of Race Ferrari, and then in FP2, it was the Dempsey Proton Porsche, and then the MR uh, Racing Ferrari. So Porsche and Ferrari seems to be the flavor of uh, GTM. Um, who'd you guys pick in Fantasy WC for, for that class? 88. I did as well. 77. 77. Oh, you like, you made a good pick. How did you afford 77? What did you have to give up? I got the 67 for 67 for the Pro. Oh, okay. I think I got the 38 in B2 and 17 in 1. Oh, and that was quite, so that was not a good start. Yeah, you chose a you chose a Toyota in uh in P1. Uh yeah, I I I chose a Toyota in P1, so that's why I couldn't afford to go to the 77. Um, that should be that should be an interesting race again because of the amateur factor. It might be those who are lucky enough to get the amateurs in while it's under safety car are the ones that do well. Um, back to uh back to P1. Uh, we didn't talk about the fact that the SMP racing car had a massive accident in FE2 today. The the um. The car that set the best time in practice one only set the... He didn't actually even set a lap time in P2 uh, because it was broken up into pieces uh, halfway through the second the flying lap. Crazy. <laughs> hey, yeah. uh, I mean, that's... But, all right. So, again, this is why... This is why the privateers need to be at the same speed or faster than the Toyotas. I don't know why I'm saying it like in this, but maybe if I say it in a different tone and with different inflections, like it'll sink in, but the, the privateers are going to privateer. So <laughs> I just, I just feel like at this point we need to start focusing on 
that the Toyotas are just in a different class because they just operate at a different frequency and either say it out loud in public or try to make it so it's compensated. But like, because they're not, I mean, this is just it. If, if S&P, right, so like if the storyline was S&P is a half a second faster this weekend for some reason, they already been their car. So they already lost all the setup time that they need to, to do all this, blah, 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 blah. So I just feel like they already handicapped themselves by being a privateer team in general. I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I could have this conversation probably at every at the end of every free practice yep. throughout this entire season. But uh, that's yeah, they have gone through a lot of parts, man. That quarter, team has gone through a ton of parts. Quarter of the episode, privateers are going to privateer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's always the 17 as well. <laughs> it is, dude. It is, yeah. Is that the weaker car? Or is, isn't that the better car? Uh, no, the is, I think the 11 is a better car. Um if only by virtue of being the one car that's been in the podium. I don't think the 17 has been on the podium. That yet. hasn't been... <laughs> well, that's exactly there, yeah. whenever, there's a, whenever there's a crash, it, it seems to be the 17, but whenever there's a electrical problem or a, a mechanical problem, it seems Engine to be the problem. 11. Yes, yeah. you're right. You're totally right. You're totally right. So I just can't catch a yeah. break. Now, uh, the 17 was on the podium in uh, at Silverstone, but they finished fifth on the road, so there you go. Oh, yeah, because that was um, when Audi's got disqualified. They also had a crash in that race on lap one. Oh. <laughs> so what you're saying We've is if they the keep car- on the road, they're doing well. Pretty much, yeah. Oh, jeez. So uh, what actually happened with the crash? Does anyone know? Um, No, all we got is descriptions from DSC and other outlets that are basically saying that it was hauled away on a flatbed. It was like left rear quarter panel damage i'm assuming probably maybe suspension issue too but the driver's okay but it, it got yeah. all the way to flatbed it was too too bad to drive back so yeah it was uh dsc said in the paddock notes or the fp2 notes that uh it lost the car in the wet at blanchimont uh not saying whether it was on entry or an exit but it backed the car into the barriers so that would suggest to me um more so on entry so I maybe stepping so. a wheel out onto the, the white line as as it's entering the corner or in the middle of the corner, and yeah, backing it into the wall on the first on the first flying lap as well. Furthermore, I just like like to make a point before we go on. Uh, privateers still don't have proper rear tires in yes. the wet. Not have uh, uh, in the wet the mismatch between rear and front tire temperatures by having too much power through the rears and too little power through the fronts makes a hell of a lot of difference. That is a great point, actually. Yeah, good shout. I wonder how much of a setup change they'll have to make in in the race to sort of compensate for that. Um, when are we getting the new Michelin Privateer tires? Uh, we don't know if we are. Uh, I've heard uh, or read somewhere, TM, that one P one team, unsure which, vetoed uh, different tires for hybrid and non hybrid. <sighs> They're the worst. If it was Toyota, I'm just going to go right up to Hughes de Chanak and just slap him. <laughs> yeah, that's a good shot. <laughs> Dramatic French slap. Oh, oh no! Ow! <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so, yeah, uh, by the time this episode gets uploaded, it will probably be around about 12 hours until qualifying. Um, so, we'll get a better picture of what's going to happen um, in terms of the weather by then, and then we'll see what happens on the race on Saturday night for me, morning for you guys. Watch the race, people. I don't care if it, you think it's going to be bad. Watch the race. Watch it. It's not going to be bad. It's going to be great. Actually, yeah, the, the weather should be an interesting aspect to this, if they don't safety car half of it. Yeah, that's the thing. If they don't, if they safety car half of it, then... Or it gets snowed out like VLN. <laughs> Then complain. <laughs> we'll field your complaints live on air in a special. No, we won't. Chat. No, we won't. You can't make that's too much work. Jewish chat commentary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, oh, Bijok, have you got uh, like a wet weather tent and warm clothes and all that sort of stuff sorted out? Well, the tent that I will take warm clothes with me and also uh, things for the rain because I think they will get wet probably. <laughs> Oh, six hours. Well, six. if I don't want to get wet, I could, but 
then I probably don't see anything. So, mm, damn. So yeah, six hours in that sort of weather does not sound like a fun time for me. I'm sorry. It's just not does not sound like a fun time. So I hope you have a fun time. But I will be watching from my very very warm bedroom in Australia. Mm, decide to rub it in. And also, it's a bit of a shame <laughs> that the uh, wagon speed isn't there with the LMP1, but. Yeah, that's interesting. Why? What's happening with that? Why isn't Dragon Speed there? Apparently, they had a problem they had in Le Mans. Uh, I mean, Sebring. They didn't get the parts to get it fixed. So they couldn't make it. That that's is, the story. That is a real, real shame. Imagine being let down by your contracted suppliers. That would that <clears> would just <throat> properly suck. Yeah, and some of the drivers... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Oh God! Our, it, our, our humor might be getting too specific. That's that's my only concern right now. We might we might be getting like too. Our references might be too too specific. Too, okay, for yeah. those for those uh, completely lost at home, don't worry, we are as well. Um, but <laughs> uh, but the Nissan LMP1 uh, program back in 2015 basically got torpedoed by the hybrid supplier Torotrack not delivering on their product, which meant that the car had no hybrid, which meant that it was awful, which meant that it sucked. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's 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 where we are at the moment. Uh, that's good. No, I I I have no disagreement whatsoever with that assessment. That is, I think, as spot on as you possibly can make it. In Thank in you. that sort of that sort of time frame as well. There. Yep. Yep. Well, cool. Um, so I just realized I probably shouldn't have to choose the seventeen for Affleck. I'm just looking like result. Retired, retired, third, retired, retired, non-classified. Yeah. <laughs> Sterling effort. Sterling effort. There. I don't know. I don't, I don't see this shit. <laughs> that at all, man. I don't know what you're talking about. Privateers gonna privateer. Yeah, yeah, that's that's no, that's perfect. Yeah, that's a definite privateer moment. Oh god. Okay. Well, I guess I guess we'll see what happens. And if they do privateer, then Lamont will be. You'll be there to watch it live. <laughs> Far out. <clears throat> Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay, we'll move on from the WEC because I think we've spoken about everything we can talk about the WEC. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about ELMS. Um, firstly. Uh, the first race of the season at Paul Ricard. We didn't get an, uh, a preview done in time because life is something that happens and sucks. What? Uh, what? <laughs> but the... 30, how many cars were on the grid in the in the end? It was like 38 cars or 40-something cars? Uh, 41 cars. 41 cars, which yep. had 31... Uh, sorry, 32 prototypes split between yeah. 17 in P2 and 14 in LMP3. So that means that you could literally just have a P2 race of 17 cars and it would be as action-packed as an F1 race or more, probably more. Ayo. Ayo. Um, but yeah, take. just so much, uh, so many cars on track, which was surprising then that the race was just a little bit of a, a, a fizzler. It was just a kind of, a kind of a little meh. Mm. That was, mm. well, at least that was my take from the race. A little mad. Um, yes, I will. I, I'll say a lot of that down to the course. Even though I do like Paul Ricard, I feel like the way that they, the way that these cars are, and uh, just the BOP, there's not a whole lot of like really great setups for passing outside of uh, maybe T1. Uh, the the run was T. Is it T16? T17. Last last corner. That swooping left. I think that really really sharp. Right. Yeah. T16. I like that. But there was a really, I, really good move around that corner as well early in the race. I think it was um, it was either Jonathan Hershey or James Allen went around the outside of Roman Rusinov in the Aorus, the debut of the Aorus, uh, yep. the the not LP, not Orica, not Alpine. The Russian limo, sir. Yeah. the Russian limo. The yes. Russian limo uh, went around the outside through that swooping uh, left-hander and was. Ahead before the breaking zone of the the final corner, which was just nuts. I didn't, could mm-hmm. not believe that when I saw it. Um, if if you will, or if I may, it reminds me of uh, Portland Grand Prix circuit, whatever Portland International Raceway in Oregon, uh, where they have the IndyCar race. They redid the last set of turns leading down to the front straight stretch. On that, it's very similar to what this is, where it's very very wide track, 
And it's all basically racetrack. So you have the ability, if you want to set somebody up and stick your car like 10 meters to the left of somebody else, just to set up an ex- like the, you know, the pass for a corner exit, you can do it. So like, I love that. And Portland last year showed really, really great passing and moves there. And I think Paul Ricard this year showed the same thing there too. It's just, it's a really good corner to set somebody up to either get the pass hmm. beforehand or after the corner. So. Yeah, but um, I think I think the track lays into why this was a little bit more of a dud race. However, there still was a decent amount of passing for LMP two, um, and same with Elon uh, and GT as well. But LMP three was yeah. more of a dud. I agree with you on that. I, I, well, I think LMS firstly runs into the problem where because there's so many cars on track and so many people are interested in battle for the lead for P two and the GT cars that LMP three kind of just get, gets forgotten. Like I don't know if you feel the same, but I can't remember seeing too many actual coverage of LMP3 throughout the race. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, it gets for, forgotten. No, no, I you you're, no, you're you're right. And I for me, my my problem is that there's uh, if you want to count, you can just go through the chassis list, right? So you've got Norma's, Liege's, Norma's, Liege's. There's nothing that's it. Yeah. That's it. You have 14 cars and half of them are are Liege's, over half of them are Liege's, half of them are Norma's. You don't have four different chassis, so you don't have chassis differentiation. All the cars are identical. The only thing they have different is paint schemes. So you're basically asking somebody to pay attention to a spec series that's essentially racing around LMP2s. Now, obviously, it's not spec, but yeah. um, I just feel like there's not enough storylines in there by way of different equipment. There's everything. Everybody's got so much stuff. You have to talk about the drivers because that's really the only difference in the teams. But they're so young and new and small that why would we talk about them outside of like United Autosports, right? So yeah, that's, that's that's my thought on it. I I agree. It is just a lot harder to track, um, especially when you're trying to catch up on racing and watching at double speed and not <laughs> not quite getting through taking notes properly. Uh, but that was that was on me. Uh, we talk uh talk back at uh LMP two uh, the LMP two race. Um, ended up being uh Dragon Speed taking the win. Uh, Heinrich Hedman. Uh, in the car uh, with Ben Hanley and James Allen uh, ahead of the Idex Sport, Paul Lafargue, Paul Luchatin, Maymo Rojas car, and then Duquesne Engineering, uh, who, remember, just got their LMP2 invite for Le Mans, um, jumping off the uh, reserve list, with uh, Nikolai Jamin, uh, Pierre Rags, and Richard Bradley in third place. Uh, they were all a bit separated out at the end, about 15 seconds each, but Dragon Speed taking home the win. Uh, I'm not as surprised as that uh, at that as I think a lot of people are, and I'm going to say that's because Heinrich Hedman's actually good in an LMP2 car. <laughs> as, as far as an AM, he's actually like yeah. pretty consistent, has decent pace, and he's just not bad. Um, and they're also racing LMP1. Isn't that the full LMP1 lineup? Pretty much. Uh, um. Yes, I think James Allen. Well, I mean, not this weekend, but yeah, I think that is the LMP one Le Mans lineup. Yeah. So you have driver chemistry uh, in a potentially slightly faster car. I just, I just think that 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 gives Heinrich a little bit more just comfort in an LMP two car, just because he's, you know, if you drive something a little bit faster, you, you actually get more on the limit. You're going faster, so you're just more comfortable with more speed. So I. I I think that can't that can't hurt, and I I kind of agree with you. I, I if it wasn't for the super season being this year, I would definitely be like, whoa, that's kind of surprising. Mm. Um, just because there there isn't a uh, Lapier listed as uh, under the driver lineup there. Yeah, that's uh, true. So, which is I believe why they won in 2017 um, their last race. I think that was when they all won their last race. I think so. Yeah, because um, they had so, uh, Hanley and Lapierre, which was just OP as hell. The, the the podium was really interesting. I like the twenty eight. Um, I, I I think the twenty eight could have won had they not had that spin in the first hour. I think. Um, I, I'm not granted. I have no idea how that would have messed up their their strategy and all that stuff. But I I really like to see the the pace that they had uh, throughout the entire race was really good. And Duquesne Engineering still is performing, and that's crazy. They weren't they an LMP three team at one point. Um, I, they were, they were the, I think they were the team that was pushing the Norma chassis, the one that was the first one to really take up the Norma chassis and do well with it. So yep. for them to make the step up into LMP2 and to be competitive is really, really cool. I mean, they were competitive out the gate last year and I think everybody thought, well, I mean, yeah, sure, fine. That's, they, they might've kind of found a little spark here or there, but there's no way they can sustain it because they're such, you know, they don't have the experience and it's just showing this year that's. They've got they've got really good engineers or somebody there that's 
really able to figure this out. And um, I mean, I I love it. I, I if we can encourage more of these LMP3 teams to find their ground, you know, ground and just start building up from there, um, I think we we would do we would be wise to listen to what they need to say and to get more privateers, yep. um, you know, into there. So hundred percent. Um, good, good, good. Uh, a really surprising result in P2. Uh, I remember talking to you privately before the race, and you were saying, oh, the 26, there's no way the 26 doesn't win. Fourth place! They didn't even get on the podium, Cookie. No, 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 no. I said there's no way that they win. I I, I told, I said that... Um, Are you sure? Yes, I said that there is that I'll take the field. I'm not taking the 26. There's no way the 26 is going to win. Because I because they were just... that. I, I felt that they were so dominant last year that something was going to happen this race that they weren't going to win or they weren't going to just run away with it because I that's just the normal thought is the 26 is going to run away regardless of whatever they call the car um and the 38 might uh or not 38 uh that, that they might just get chased down a little bit but um you're thinking WC no, I, 38 yeah I was, I was gonna say I was like wait a sec no that's not right uh but yeah so I I'm unless say hey somebody listen if anybody actually listened to the episode check in but I'm pretty sure I said that I I wouldn't take the 26 I I had a feeling they were going to win it, but... Went well. I, I, the well, reason, well, the reason they basically didn't win it is because they went backwards in the first in. I don't know what was going on with Rusinov or his tires, but he went from first, I think, to sixth by the end of the first in. He was a victim of some really good overtakes. That too. So, that that was very true. Um, Any other notable results from that uh, the LMP2 race? I think the fact that Panes Bartes... Uh, D, um, didn't get classified uh, right at the very end. It was a bit rough. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it was uh, like... It was it was a race that wanted to be good, but it just kind of... It was missing that spark, that little bit of fire. Yep. Um, I mean, relative gaps weren't really... I mean, a lot of it was pit stops. I mean, yeah. you the I, I would say if you watch... If you wanted to watch really good LMP2 racing... Watch the first hour, and then it becomes more of a strategy-esque, pit stop-esque, you know, if, see if we can beat them with that instead of with overall pace. Because they just, there wasn't a whole lot of people could do for the top three or four. It was, they were just kind of in a league of their own for the most of the race. Yeah. Um, we're going to skip over LMP3, much like the broadcasters. Uh, we did make mention that he kind of gets, um, like, missed out on. Uh, so we're going to do the same. Uh, but just very quickly, Ultimate Racing winning with the Norma over a pair of Ligiers, the Euro International and Inter Europol. That's like an all carbon wrapped car. Like there was yeah. no livery. It was just a carbon fiber. It does look pretty <laughs> sick, though. I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it did. Uh, and then uh, it looked like the car that you wanted to be in for the race was the Norma um, because the the back half of the field was all uh, Ligiers. Um, but I'm not sure how much you want to read into that. Um, let's talk about GTE, because there were a few stories in GTE which were really, really cool. Um, firstly, uh, new team to the series. Uh, I'm going to say this wrong. Luzic Racing. Is that right? I would I would say that, yeah. Luzic? Luzi? Um, Luzi? Yeah, something yeah, like that. German? Taking a dominant victory, uh, they were basically just unchallenged at the front of the field in that Ferrari uh, number 51 car, which is really, really cool. I haven't seen a Ferrari be that dominant since JMW. Right, and like the old 458. They, I mean, they've, they've had some success with the 488, but for the most part, that 458 was the was the class of the field for like almost years. So yeah, yeah it's, it's weird to see a Ferrari just roll through the field like that and then not be JMW. Yeah, they were just completely untouchable throughout the entire race. I don't think anyone got within 10 seconds of them uh, f- after the first two laps. It was just nuts. Nah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, especially some of the overtaking too. I, the way that I like how GTE went was that a lot of the battles kind of overlapped into other battles from other classes. So it was just kind of weird is is that you'd almost kind of be watching the broadcast and it would have somewhat of a battle that was going on. All of a sudden the camera would just, they'd be overtaking naturally like this roaring GTE battle for that came out of yeah. nowhere. And we're like, oh, okay, we'll just watch this. And you're like, okay, these two Porsches about to kill each other. So <laughs> I had to watch that for about five to ten minutes. So yeah. I felt like that was the... 
the gist of the class. Yeah, there was definitely, a, uh, especially in the first hour, as you mentioned earlier, the f- the first hour of the race in GT was fantastic with the battles between uh, a group of the Porsches and the JMW Ferrari and the uh, Spirit of Race Ferrari as well. Um, but I think one of the surprising results from GT is the second place on debut for the all-female-driven Kessel Racing car uh, with Maniello, Gosner, Rahel Frey, and Michelle Gadding. What a result for them to take second place in their first race out. I mean, what what an interesting topic that would have been had we known about... Uh, now, I don't know when their driver lineup was announced, but the like the, the all-female driver lineup in EMS compared to the all-female driver but IMSA driver lineup at IMSA. I think think the all-female driver lineup in ELMS was announced uh, not too recently. I think it was about two months ago. So, like, not not as early as the IMSA lineup, but definitely not brand new. Like, who out of that crew would have gotten the first, like, podium? You know, that that was... uh, Which I maybe... I would say ELMS because obviously there's less cars, but... I would, I would almost say the female driver lineup for IMSA is better, but uh, this is uh, extraordinary. This is great. I mean, I, I, I have no this, issues with this at all. This is great. This driver, driver lineup is also going to Le Mans as well in the GTE car. Yep. Mm. Yep. I, yeah. That, I did remember reading that as well when I was like, oh, because that was the thing too. I literally, I, I, I completely slept on this news. I had no idea that they had an all-female driver lineup on it. So I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I had no idea they're going for Le Mans, so. It was, a, it was a weekend of didn't firsts you, for me. Um, didn't you listen to did our I listen podcast? to our podcasts? I don't know if I heard that sultry tone that you say no, so well. that's it. You're getting, co- about- you're getting kicked. You're getting kicked. Doesn't even listen to our bloody podcast. <sighs> what a what an awful human. Um, so just to round out the rest of the ELMS, uh, as I mentioned, the two Ferraris who are raising Kettle Racing, the first two. Uh, number 77, the Dempsey Proton car, came home in third, uh, ahead of the JMW Motorsport uh, Ferrari in fourth, Spirit of Race Ferrari in four, uh, fifth, and then uh, the trio of Porsches, and then the last Castle Racing car, a few laps down. Okay, cool, we can come back, and we're going to jump across the pond now to talk IMSA. Uh, we'll bring back Solheimus, and for the first time in this episode, uh, Alex9001 is in the booth as well. Hello, Alex. Hello, I'm here. Hello, you are here, in fact. Um, Managed to get home without too many delays. Yay, we did it. Um, Yeah, sorry for how frantic this episode has been. We're basically just running from the seat of our pants with people coming in and out whenever they can. Um, And uh, Bujok has elected to go to sleep, uh, so that way he can get up in time to, you know, go to spa. Um, So, IMSA at uh, Long Beach. What a weird and wonderful event it wasn't actually that weird it was just it was just weird <laughs> i don't i don't quite yeah. know how to explain it it was a typical imsa franticness with just a dash of wait what yeah looking back exactly. at it, it feels like it feels like maybe like two hours and 40 minutes of racing squeeze into one hour and 40 minutes yeah that, how much stuff went on yeah exactly right it was just it's just a bit, just a bit nutty. A typical IMSA sort of nuttiness, and I thought that having the shorter race at uh, Long Beach might take some away from it. But I got to say, I was, I was pretty well proven wrong. So that's, that's fine. Um, so I guess we start from the very beginning, and the very beginning saw a crash on lap one. Yeah, I think anyone guess who might have crashed on lap? Yeah, John Bennett. In it wasn't during the fountain. It was coming back onto like the rear part of the circuit, I can't even really, like, he just went into the wall. It just seems so innocuous. I don't, I don't understand. Um, and they didn't bring out a safety car immediately. They only brought out a safety car about half a lap later when... When he tried to reverse and then figured out that he had broken the suspension. Yeah, he basically reversed almost directly into the race line on the second lap of the race. So, yeah, we talk about IMSA being a bit too liberal with their safety cars, but no, that probably should have been a safety car from the very beginning, guys. Yeah, and I think while it was green after Bennett did it, um, the 55 and 10 somehow like interacted with him and kind of got into it with each other. Yeah, because the, the 55... Did it like shut down or something on the back straight for a little bit? Um, that was later, but okay. I have a note that 
at the beginning, um, like the 10 clip to 55, they were like dating okay. or something like that. But I guess maybe not too important because um, after all, like nothing major happened out of that. Yeah. Um, it, was just it was just something that happened during the green. Yeah. It was uh, just a bit... Go ahead. What had happened just uh, just earlier, so that was a lap two and not lap one, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a lap two. So what had happened just before, while there was a local yellow flying for John Bennett in the wall, um, the number 10 overtook the 55 uh, just as the local yellow was ending, but but still under yellow. So got pink for that. And in the ensuing melee, uh, uh, it also got clipped with the 55, which then spun around. Okay, so there's a bit going on at that first lap. Just a bit going on. Yeah. So I do. Okay, I just want to take this little opportunity to kind of sidebar. What is going to ha- like? What is the point of core racing in that uh, Nissan at the moment? Like they're running a car with no factory support uh, as a non-factory team, uh, a new car f- to them, um, and they're not getting any help from balanced performance or anything because it's uh, the DPI class and they're you know going up against full factories. What is the point? I guess to be in the DPI class is how I, it's like my read on it is that that's their kind of like backdoor ticket into staying into the top class of the championship because otherwise they'd be um, down in LMP2 if they yeah. had kept with the Oregon. They race and like we don't know, uh, like. The program, LMP, LMP2 program is currently eight races, which could become even less uh, depending on availability of cars. You know, even as a you know, even as a three car class, you know, is it going to survive? Isn't is probably Ipsa not going to keep keep running the, the LMP2 class? They just yeah. want to race even if it means going to last. So there you go. Yeah, I think I think you guys are exactly right. For them to they want to race in the top class, uh, and that worked well for them last year uh, running the Orca, but. Since they split the classes, they needed to find a DPI platform. They couldn't, they couldn't, or didn't want to go with the Cadillac, and so now they're in the Nissan and kind of floundering. Uh, Cookie, what is your take on that? Um, yeah, I think it's just a natural progression of uh of not having the support that you're going to get uh, because you're not spending the amount of money, you're not having that political influence. There's you don't have you know an extra uh, uh managing director of whatever the manufacturer himself that's lobbying at IMSA and all that. So I, I think there is a level of that disadvantage that you just naturally get by not having that support. Um, yeah. I mean, they're, they're looking for overall wins uh, and according to what IMSA states, they should have the best opportunity um, in any, in any other championship to do that because IMSA says they will balance it. So that's the. I think that's kind of their mo, and I think if the year goes on and they're just not able to kind of get that speed that everybody else is, there you'll probably start hearing them vocalize it. I mean, they they were vocalizing it last year um, with the merging of or, or just the separation of the classes. So yeah, and look, look where like we are. We, we, so. we all kind of said this was a bad idea, and look where we are. It's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a yeah, I think it's a horrible idea. There's we didn't have LMP twos here. Um, we don't have any. We don't have a structure for prototype privateer teams in America. There just isn't a a it just there's not a market for it. That, that that's it's, it's just it's tough from a American sports car fan standpoint because it is it is such a different uh, type of marketing atmosphere or just ecosystem here. Yep. That everybody just kind of assumes that because you know. Australia and EU and Asia, they all work the same in terms of Australia how Australia doesn't work the same, but continue. Okay, right. It's like a mix of EU and a... It's like old school American where everybody just has loves a specific brand. And Pretty there's, much, there's yeah. just no brand. There's no more brand identity in the United States. And that's and that's the problem, I think, that people are outside the United States be able to grasp is that there is just no concept of brand. And like, globalization has basically melded everything okay. into do you like a thing or not i'm that's, gonna that's my i'm just gonna reel you back in before you go on a, a blah, bit blah, of a blah, tangential blah. rant and anyway so anyway. the alien's about to come so, and <laughs> far out so what you're saying is without without factory support they have no 
grounds to sort of race on a level playing field. Yes. Yeah. Yes, correct. That okay, is exactly let's, what I meant. Let's leave it there before going delving into the <laughs> specifics of sport, uh, sports car racing in America and Sorry, marketing. And that, Look, that was said a bunch of times. I, I, I feel like that was in my, in my brain. But yes, that's what I don't think that this is uh, odd. At okay. all for them not to yeah. be doing well. I am, and I'm not su- surprised either. It just is a very sad because they were the story of last year for me, and for them to be struggling this year entirely down to the regulation body changing the structure of the classes is just yeah makes me sad. If, if United Auto Sports just... joins DPI, if United Auto Sports joins DPI, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to talk to somebody else, somebody else that will offer a chassis that they can use that has more support. I don't, I don't see them leaving. I see them leaving Nissan. But I just like to make a counterpoint, uh, Cookie. You said that we didn't have LMP2s here. LMP2 is an is an, is a pro am class. If I'm correct, we had one am driver in the field at Long Beach. He put it in the wall on lap one. Ah, so is DPI a P2 if a private? Oh, no, let's not. Let's not. Ah. Let's not get into moving on. So the race kept going. (laughs) The race kept going and there was some racing. Um, and then um, we, we got into a really, really interesting part of the race where, because of course the prototypes have to make two stops to get through the hundred minutes, whereas the uh, GT cars only have to take the one. So we saw a divergent, a, a diverging in strategy in GT with, I think it was the Ford number 66 taking literally the earliest pit stop anyone's ever taken in the entire history of ever. Um, but that was also right when the prototype cars were taking their pit stop as well, uh, their first pit stop. So it turned into a bit of a, a kerfuffle in the pits um, for some of the teams. I think the number 55 team had a bit of a problem, uh, and also the number 24 car didn't get a wheel nut on, and so they dropped way out of the running. Uh, and then we saw probably one of the most surprising incidents, because uh, you just don't expect, you don't expect the number 10 car to go on the wall on the back straight, do you? Yeah, you don't. Uh, and they... he didn't just go onto the wall, he absolutely battered it. Yeah. Yeah, it was like very, like, it was like a very independent action to mm. hey, hey, that was like a very independent steering arm after that <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah he was all by himself he just made a mistake bring a van Zander, up the back straight mm. he must have missed his braking point or something because he just missed the apex by a good two or three meters and hit the wall and that was their race done i think they were at the back end of the top three at that point as well so yeah you just don't expect the action express oh, not the action express sorry um Wayne Taylor Racing. Whatever. Yeah, Taylor Brothers. Yeah. Um, well, not Taylor Brothers anymore, but like Taylor Family. Yeah, team. you don't expect them to make that sort of mistake. So that was real, real odd. And yeah, as Sol so eloquently put, a very independent rear steering arm after that. Yeah, I think that kind of speaks volumes to how like tactics this entire race was, though, that like big teams like Wayne Taylor Racing were like making mistakes like that. And then like we had to, yeah, the tire. The tire f ups, which I presume we'll talk about later, um, and just like how tight, which we've seen in other races like um, Petit Le Mans last year, but like how tight teams are pushing on fuel. Mm. Uh, we'll talk about that a little later on, but yeah, it's very good point. Everything is really pushing up to the absolute limit of where they can get. Uh, at the moment, which is really, really great. It makes some great competition. That is the allure, allure of a street race, isn't it? You know, it's completely unforgiving. One mistake, the race done. Even if it's just a two-hour race. Yes, that's why I love street racing. I feel like more tracks need to have... I, I say this all the time. More tracks need to have consequence for making mistakes. I think that's one of the things I really hate about Paul Ricard. There's no consequence <clears> for making <throat> mistakes. Um, and for a lot of grade one tracks, that's becoming more and more true. But yeah, at a street circuit, there's an amazing consequence for making mistakes. You got to push the limit, but actually stay within them, which is great. Um, right. It's, it's like almost offensive when there is like more, like more pavement for runoff area than pavement. Right. That's like from, especially from like a helicopter or like from like any sort of like aerial view. It's like, what is this? This is like, like it, it makes it look like a like autocross course. Yeah, like exactly. a, a, skid, a skid pan with some lines on it. There's so, no, like, risk, because, like, you can just, like, you can just, like, do anything. Well, not, yeah. like, literally anything, but, like, there's, like, so much freedom to, like, 
to make mistakes. Do things yeah. like getting caught in the gravel traps or anything like that. Exactly. And it's just like, like, I don't want to say like unrealistic because it's like, what is realistic technically? Like, yeah, none of this is realistic, but like, it's just like so unrealistic. I feel like, yeah, I can say that. I'm sure people know. Yeah, it, 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 it feels like a video game. There's no consequence. You can push the limits and there's nothing stopping you from going over the limits because you can just recover. I think saying it's like a video game pretty much is mm. spot on because it, it feels like it's like trying a video game with like damage off, basically. Yeah. As we've seen in uh, at uh, Circuit of the Americas, both in IMSA and as of this year, IndyCar, uh, the American principle of track limits is if it's fair, it's fair, fair game. So what I want to see is Paul Ricard by American Rules. Oh, don't, don't, <laughs> don't. Nah, I'm just going to move straight on. The rest of the prototype race in the IMSA, was, uh, the IMSA race at Long Beach was characterized by uh, a battle between the number five Action Express racing car and the two Acura Team Penske cars, which saw, I think, probably the best race management i want to say of any car sorry any race i've seen in quite a long time um the way that albuquerque managed the second half of the race uh by extending his fuel window plus keeping the tires in check plus managing the cars behind him and defending while also very very tactically passing the traffic as he came up to it because remember of course at Long Beach, you only pass the traffic once. The The lap difference between uh, GTLM and DPI was one lap. So the way that Albuquerque managed to strategically pass cars in the last section of the race to put cars between him and the chasing Acuras was some of the best traffic management I've, I've seen since Trailerway was doing the same thing at uh, Silverstone. I think in 2015, I remember very specifically Trailerway just passing cars perfectly to pr- keep some of the, the chasing P1s behind him. So, yeah, I, I want to comment on that. And Albuquerque thoroughly deserved that victory. I think he did, what, th- two or three times? that he puts one or two cars between him and the number seven Acura, I want yeah. to say. And, and it, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't just like passing them down the straight and putting them in between. It would make the pass so that way there'd be one car between him and the following car into the fountain and into that tight section of the track where, you know, the DPIs can't actually get, you know, squirt past the GT cars or it would be into the parking, uh, the car park. So they, they'd be, the DPI would be held up going into the hairpin, it was very smart and very well-timed, and it meant that he had a buffer zone which never seemed to go away. Yeah, I was really impressed with how he was, like, selectively holding back or um, pushing the past uh, GTLM into corners. It, like, really demonstrates a lot of situational awareness, which is not easy when your face is, like, a meter off the ground in a GTI. Yeah. And you don't really see that much except for like what's directly in front of you like you don't like for him to know for him to like kind of have a sense of what the number seven was doing behind him and also where the gtlms were in front of him and know how to like put all that together into like one cohesive calculation about what to do next was like you like you said earlier definitely for me also where he like really deserved the win Mm. in the last few laps 100 percent great it was it was a great race and uh, as i mentioned he took the win ahead of the two accurates uh that's now cadillac's third win of the season uh i think uh it has been let me just double check that but i reckon it is yeah action express took uh the number 31 took last race daytona was won by the wayne taylor racing and now the number five gets a win at long beach so each of the caddy teams or each of the major caddy teams taking a win uh, early on in the season. Yeah, and also uh, Yunkos led um, a lot of the mid part of the race because of fuel strategy. They yeah, they didn't pit when everyone else pit. It was great. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. I'm sure they enjoyed that. Yeah, they enjoyed that too. Uh, it was always fun seeing the number one on the leader lights come up next to your car when you're not expecting it. Um, yeah, so that was really cool. Uh, prototype race was. Uh, very much a race management race, but GTE, you just have to call it a slog fest, wouldn't you? There was, yeah. yeah, there was a lot of close fighting in there. 
It was amazing. I loved it. Uh, I think at one point there was the two Porsches, the two Corvettes, a Ford and a Ford in the same shot, all trying to pass each other into turn one. It was just kind of nuts. Yeah, it was just, yeah, real nutty. The crazy thing for me is that the Porsches managed to, I think it was the 912, managed to roar through the the field uh, after the pit stop and managed to get to the end with the most broken diffuser I've ever seen. Yeah, that diffuser was like six inches, like it was flapping like six inches around. Yeah, it was basically basically an actual wing, a bird's wing. It was flapping that much. Yeah, at this point there was still like, there was still like 20 minutes left in the race. That that was like not have been good for aerodynamic efficiency. Yeah, my heart was like pounding. Like, when is this gonna fall off? It's gonna fall off. It's gonna fall off. But it never did. Mm. And in fact, they uh, the nine twelve managed to hold on and actually extend that gap with a bit of a kerfuffle uh, happening <clears throat> behind. Uh, so this was so yeah. So Porsche managed to do very very well in managing their race, but behind them it was the Ford who had taken that very early pit stop, the number sixty six car trying to hold off both of the Corvettes, the number three and the number four. Now, as it happened, the DPI field split the GTLM field as they came over to win the race. So we had the top four cars having to do in GTLM having to do an extra lap after the, the race had finished, basically. So that was not good for Ford, who, of course, were wanting to consolidate their position uh, after that early pit stop and were running on basically zero fuel. And it was, in the end, literally zero fuel. Uh, they ran out of fuel on the last lap, coming like out the second of... second half of the last lap. Yeah, too. I think it was coming onto the back straight. And yeah. because they were in such a tight battle with the Corvettes, it, it was literally, as the Ford went to pick the throttle up, there was no throttle. The Corvette had nowhere to go and just punted him right in the rear and completely destroyed the Ford um, and I think took the front left side off of the Corvette as well. Uh, and it was for the la- for some last lap drama. You can't really do better than that, can you? Yeah, I guess yeah, I really your brake lights don't come on if your fuel's gone, but you're still slowing down yeah. as if you were touching the brakes. So Exactly right. Engine braking. Yeah, well, pretty much. Well, there's not even engine braking. Just everything's just stopping. It's just kind of rotating till the stop. And and yeah, so the Ford didn't make the finish. Uh, the two Corvettes. Uh, I don't think the four actually passed the three on that last lap. Um, no, the four sporting list that stayed behind the three, even though the three was visibly slowed down. What a what a what a great team move! Like that's that's some that's some great camaraderie. Yeah, yeah. camaraderie. Yeah, good on good on the number four. But for some reason, well, I mean, I know exactly what the reason is. Uh, the number sixty six car, which remember didn't finish the race, got classified as fourth place. Imsa, why? Why is your point system so annoying? Why is your class? Why are you rewarding people for not finishing? Uh, because uh, well, Imsa does it the way that. Uh... That uh, all cars get get classified, even the, even if you you know just for starting. Exactly. But but this is not IMSA specific. Uh, if this same scenario had happened, for example, in Formula One, uh, the result would have been the same because uh, Formula One classifies cars if they complete ninety percent of the race distance, regardless of whether they're running or not. It's I believe only the sports car series which specify that the car uh, the FIA sports car series that specify that the car has to be running at the end of a race because it's an endurance event mostly I mean it was an hour and 40 race yeah that's a good point I it just annoys me that a car that doesn't finish the race can get classified as you know fourth place when had uh, when rather if the 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 following cars like the 911 the 67 and the BMWs if they had been able to get onto that last lap they would have easily passed it so yeah it's just a bit of a, a me thing that's really annoying but annoyed by that but oh well I oh mean, well yeah i feel like this is just like a glitch in how races that are timed by time instead of by laps and because like you're saying like the ttl ended on like two different laps yeah kind of 
Yeah, that's a good point. I guess it's just one of those little quirks. It just, yeah, as I said, just annoys me. Um, So yeah, so the 912 took the win from the 3, then the 4. The 66, as I mentioned, took home 4th. And then the cars on the lap down were the 911, the 67, and then the two BMWs, which did not enjoy the fun in the sun at Long Beach uh, that much. Can very clearly be said, seeing as they had easily the two slowest, fastest laps out of everyone. They were just nowhere near the pace um, for the two BMW cars. Yeah, I was really expecting them to do better here, even relative to like Daytona and Sebring, because I think, if I remember correctly, the old BMW M6, which is also like a fairly big car, did pretty well on street circuits for whatever reason. Yeah, um, I remember Bill Allen took the win here, I think it was not last year, but the year before, um, which was a huge deal for BMW and that team at that time. And it was um, at this so point yeah, we that my computer crashed BMW. and Just across the board, really. Uh, um, we were lucky to be able to recover We were very the excited for their so GT we program, to submit something like it's uh, a few guys to listen to before the WC shame. race at Spa. So that was, yeah, it has been a little bit of a busy few weeks on my behalf, so hence the lack of updates and lack of... Uh, content that we've been producing uh but that should all change a little bit very shortly and we should be able to give you guys a lot more stuff uh and at a lot higher frequency as well uh so this weekend as we mentioned is of course the wc at spa francorchamps make sure you watch that there's also the imsa race at mid ohio uh last year with uh gtd and prototype action it was a very good race for acura i think they took their first win there uh, after battling all race with mazda and i think acura versus lexus was the story in gtd uh, so we'll fire up the random number generator and see who wins that class again uh, elms's next race is next weekend at monza uh, one of the uh, classic races of the season i'd say in elms uh, should be very busy with that many cars on track, uh, especially on the first lap trying to get through the chicane. And hopefully next week we'll also have a early first quarter section of GT3 quarterly. Um, so thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back hopefully very soon with some better quality content for you guys in the next few weeks. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay, we'll move on from the WEC because I think we've spoken about everything we can talk about the WEC so GTM. far. GTM. <laughs> we did talk about uh, GTM. Uh, uh, not about championship, but yeah, sure. And yeah, you mentioned last hit out for the teams before the second big one. Unbelievable flood. I mean, I was, I, I had my notes. I was, I was just about to go over GTM championship, actually. So You actually were? No, I wasn't. Hey, that's what I thought. <laughs> no one cares about the championships and the endurance championships. I just care about GTM um, liveries in ELMS is what I care about. So there do you want to talk about really... ELMS? Oh, dude. That is, I, I honestly, I am so happy that there's two Porsche RSRs in the ELMS with those paint schemes. I am...